Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that by every mouth may be so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thank you, Rich. Man, I love this passage. Um, Rich read it so well, so thank you for that. This is uh, the passage that is called, Martin Luther argues, it is the turning point of Scripture where everything changes for the better. And I'm excited for us to get to that today. But first, I want to talk to you about something that's very passionate to me, very passionate for me, and that is movies. I love movies. Do you all like movies? There is an argument that some make that is wrong if they disagree with me. <laughs> that is that the best three movies, the best trilogy ever made as far as cinematic beauty is The Lord of the Rings. I love you. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. That's okay. This is where we can argue, though, because my favorite second trilogy is Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight trilogy, Batman. I love superhero movies, and these were some of the best superhero movies there are. And in the third movie, The Dark Knight Rises, uh, you see the city of Gotham, which is where, this, uh, where the Batman universe takes place. This city that is so dark and full of injustice, where the rich are taking advantage of the poor, and every kind of injustice is seen all throughout. You see this injustice kind of reach its tipping point. It has gotten so bad that everything is off. And then this guy, the, the shorter guy here, one of uh, the... Um, wealthiest man in the city. He's a CEO of a company, and he is trying to uh, fiendishly find a way to take over Bruce Wayne, who, spoiler alert, that's Batman. Hopefully you knew that. He is trying to find a way to take over Bruce's company, Wayne Enterprises, and he uses this bad guy from the movie. His name is Bane, and he uses Bane to come in and throw off the stock, market, stock markets and do everything to really just cause injustice in this city. And this moment right here, Bane is my favorite bad guy. It's probably because he's a big, bald dude, but that's beside the point. There's a scene where nothing has worked out for this rich guy. He has not taken over the business, and he is just getting so mad at Bane. And he walks up to Bane, and he's yelling at him and, and telling him why he's you know not going to get paid and all this stuff. And then Bane looks up to the second in command of the business it says leave us and then the CEO says no no stay I'm in charge here 
And then Bane just gently rests his hand on his shoulder and says, do you feel in charge? And I'm not going to go into the details of what happens next, but let's just say justice is served to that CEO. I know there are kids in the room, so I'm not going to go into that. But I was thinking when seeing this scene, wait, Bane is the bad guy. Why, why do I get excited seeing this? Like, he's supposed to be the main bad guy. How does that make me feel like, yes, I can't believe he did that. That was awesome. Well, it's because justice was served in this movie, in this moment. Bane later received justice. Don't worry. Spoiler alert. I know the movie is probably 10 years old now, so sorry if that spoils it for you. Um, but we have this inherent need, this inherent desire to see justice happen in our world. Um, we desire to see justice. And that's why even pulling for the bad guy in this movie, when he delivers justice, we are so excited because justice has been served. This evil man who is trying to take advantage of other people, justice was served to him. Switching movie, um, switching universes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's this ultimate moment in all the Marvel movies where the bad guy wins and the movie ends. And you had to wait like three, five years, something like that, before justice was served. And they was like, oh my goodness, why can't we find out what happens? And that was brilliant on Marvel's part because they made a lot of money because people were waiting to see justice served. The point is we have this desire deep inside us to see justice served when there is injustice in this world. When Philip um, asked me to preach on this topic of God's righteousness and justice, my first thought was, ooh, this is a tough one. And then I reflected on that and thought, why, why is my first inclination when talking about God's righteousness and his justice to kind of shy away from it? Why is that my first inclination? Why do we view it as a blemish on God's character when scripture celebrates it? You see, what I want you to know today is God's righteousness and his justice is a good thing. God is worthy to be praised and he is praised all throughout scripture because he is just. So, and we can trust him more because he is just. So one of my big things I try to do with students is really define the Christianese. I can drop the words righteous and just all day, and if you don't know what those mean, I'm saying nothing to you. So here's what I want you to know about this, is that God, since he is righteous and just, God is perfectly right in who he is, and he is perfectly right in all he does. So that's what it means. His righteousness is how he is, he is morally right. And his justice is that he does what is morally right. So when you hear these two words, I don't want, you to, I don't want it to go over your head and say, yeah, I hear that all the time in church. Those are two words I know. I really want you to understand what we're talking about, that God himself is right and scripture is full of it. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Daniel 4, verse 37. Do y'all remember Nebuchadnezzar? He is the Nebuchadnezzar, sorry. He is the king um, of Babylon, and he's the one that put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning furnace. He's the one that caused all the people of Israel to bow down to his statue. And we see God wins in the end. And in Daniel 4, verse 37, we hear the words of Nebuchadnezzar. 
says this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Psalm 9, 7 through 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So we see all throughout scripture how God is right in who he is. And God is right in what he does. Now, who de- what determines his rightness? Is, is there something above God that determines how right he is? No. There is no law that determines how God acts as right. On the contrary, there is a law given to us in Scripture that shows us what is right according to who God is and what He tells us to do. He is the ultimate standard, the ultimate standard of rightness, the ultimate standard of justice, the ultimate standard of He will make everything right in the end. God is that standard. There is no law above God. God gives us the law. He makes the ultimate requirements. And I like to think of Lady Justice when we think of God's justice. But Lady Justice, you know how she wears the blindfold, the statue that's in the courtrooms? God's justice is not blind. We see it all throughout Scripture. God's justice is wide-eyed, fully intent on seeing everything, seeing our hearts he is wide-eyed. He does not need witnesses to tell us or to tell him what happened. He does not need a courtroom full of people on the jury to decide what was right and wrong. He is the judge. He is the jury, and he sees everything is right, and he will make everything right because he sees all. God's justice is not lenient over here, and it's not cruel. He doesn't overpunish what is deserved, but he also doesn't underpunish what is earned. God's justice is perfectly right, always suited for the crime, and his judgment will be fair and true. No more, no less of what is deserved. So why is this good news for us? This is a heavy topic to talk about, and I promise we're going to get to the good news. But why is this good news for us? Because God does not show cruelty, but rather gives what is owed. And that means if a debt is paid, it is paid for good. There's nothing, there's nothing left hanging over our heads if the payment has been paid, if the debt has been um, fulfilled, if the note has been burned on stage. That means that it is done, but more on that good news later. God will always be justified in all he does because he's the ultimate source of rightness, And he always does what is right and true. He will always be justified. Which leads us to this, which is a really hard topic. God is justified in punishing sin. we got to talk about it. God is justified in punishing sin. We see it all throughout Scripture. Um, God does what is right and gives what is earned. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, what's a wage? As a kid, I always read over this, and I memorized this passage, but I I didn't really think about what this meant. Uh, A wage, you know, when you get paid your wage, it's something you earned, right? Normally, we think of our wages as a good thing. In this case, it is not. 
the wages of sin. What is earned because of our sin is death. Genesis 1 through 3, we see God create everything. It says it's good. He creates man. It said very good. He takes dirt from the ground and balls it up and breathes his life into man, creates man, and then he gives man his law. He says, this is what you can do. This is what you will not do. And man, this pile of dust, thought, I know better than God because Satan told you know, deceived them, and they disobeyed God. But before they disobeyed God, God promised them, on the day you eat the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. In the Septuagint, the Greek is thanatos, death that day. So death is what was earned. It was promised from the beginning. I know very quickly we see the death of Abel in um, the twin brothers, Cain and Abel, but, but one of the most shocking first deaths in Scripture is in Genesis 5-5. And it's the genealogy, uh, starting with Adam, going through Noah, but it says this in Genesis 5, verse 5, Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Punishment was served for sinning against God. But it keeps going. Genesis 6, um, 5, and then over to verse 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. God was justified in, in the flood because man sinned against him, and the punishment of sin is death. Exodus 9, 27. This is Pharaoh who is trying to keep the people of Israel enslaved. And all these plagues keep coming on him. And finally, Pharaoh says this. He says, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. And then what happens to Pharaoh and his armies? They're killed under the water of the Red Sea as the people of Israel escape. But then we look at the people of Israel, God's people. Exodus 32, 27 and 28. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. This is when, a little context, when Moses went on the mountain, you know, we got the Ten Commandments, comes back down. What are the people of Israel doing? They built a golden calf. And they said, look, this is the God that rescued you from Egypt. Well, that's probably not a good move, but we'll see how it turns out for them. So in this verse, Exodus 32, God is angry at their sin. And then Moses said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Y'all feel happy yet? Is this good news yet? Okay, just making, making sure we're on the same page. All right. But this isn't just an Old Testament thing. I could show you countless examples all throughout the Old Testament, but let's jump to the, the New Testament for a second. Acts chapter 5. You see these, these two members of the New Testament church, the early church. Uh, their husband and wife named for Ananias and Sapphira. And long story short, they lied about tithes and offerings given to the church. They kept a lot of it, and they lied to God about it. And this is what we see in verses 4 and 5 to start. Um, I believe this is Peter saying it to him. You have not lied to man, but to God. 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Then skip over to verse 9. This is now they're talking to Sapphira, the wife. Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out. They buried her, behind her or beside her husband. You see, all throughout Scripture, we, we see God's justice served. And I think our natural inclination is to think this is a problem that we see. But this is a problem for us. Man's biggest problem is not that we're sick in need of healing. Man's biggest problem is not that we're lost and we need someone to find us. Man's biggest problem is that we have sinned against a holy God and we sit under his righteous judgment and justice. That's our biggest problem as man. God, if, and if God chose to punish us, he would be right in doing so. There is no problem in scripture over that. But there's another truth we need to understand. God is also justified in forgiving sin. You see, God's judgment on sin is not, it may be our problem, but it's not heaven's problem. There's no charge that can be brought up against God for punishing sin. There's no angels in heaven that are questioning God's authority for punishing sin. No, that's not the problem in heaven. That's not the problem in Scripture. That is justified. If, if someone steals your car and wrecks it, yeah, they're going to pay for it. They better pay for it. That, that's not the issue. The issue in Scripture is not how can a good God punish sin. The issue is how can a just God forgive sinners? How can a just God forgive sinners? All these passages, you, you see God's justice being served. You see Adam and Eve saying, on that day you will surely die. There's a problem. They didn't die that day. They were clothed, and God clothed them in animal fur, which we can infer that, that animals were sacrificed in their place to make them clothed. So there's a problem. They, they, they didn't die. Well, you know, the, the people of Israel in the desert, uh, they sinned against God. We see his justice done. There was a problem. Only 3,000 people in Israel died. Most of them lived. If according to justice, all sinners should die, right? That, that's a problem we see. Well, you know, going back to Abraham, uh, he went to Egypt and he lied about his wife, put her in jeopardy. Yeah, there was a problem. He, he didn't die. David? Come on. It's David. We look at all about King David's life and, and he literally, um, while his, uh, one of his most loyal men was on the battlefield fighting for him, David committed adultery with his wife, got her pregnant, did not want this guy to find out, so sends him to the front lines to have him killed. And God says that he is a man after his own heart? Like, why didn't David die? We see this issue all throughout Scripture of how can a just God forgive sinners? How can a just God forgive us? Let's look again at the passage for today. And I want to read it again and let's just really sink in. I think you can see the reason he can forgive sinners, but I just want you 
to hear it. Starting in verse 19 of Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That's not the problem. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The literal translation of the Greek, I actually like it better. It says that He may be just while justifying the one who has faith in Christ. So through Christ, ultimately, we can be saved. I like to think, I'm going I'm to step over here for a second. Scripture's here. This is just, you know, my thinking. This isn't in Scripture. I think of Satan, who, uh, he is the great accuser, right? And he, he's probably accusing God constantly, looking at all these examples that I listed here. He, he probably accused God, like, look at Adam and Eve. Why aren't they dead? Look at Abraham. Why aren't they dead? Should not, as, as Abraham said to God in Genesis uh, chapter 18, said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Do what is just, he probably is accusing God for why are you holding off punishment for these people? Why are you giving them forbearance on their debt that they owe you? Why are you holding off on it? And God says, in my mind, he says, you want to know why? You want to see how I'm able to do this, how I'm able to put off their debt? Look to Jerusalem in this moment. Look at my son hanging on the cross. I have raised my right hand against myself and absorbed the punishment that I am owed. Christ Jesus took on the punishment that we deserved. Christ Jesus took on the wrath of God. He took on the ultimate justice that we earned. That wage of sin, that is death, that we earned, Christ took on for us. He took on our punishment so that we can be justified in God's eyes and so that God can remain just while justifying us. He can remain right in all He does because He justified us by putting all of His justice, all of His wrath on His own Son. He absorbed His own justice so that now, because the Son of God took our place and took our punishment, you and I can stand righteous before God, before Him. That is the good news. You want to know how a just God can, can forgive sinners? It's because of Christ. Ultimately, because of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 He became sin who knew no sin so that in Him 
we might become the righteousness of God. I love that wording. It's not like we, we put on righteousness. It says we become the righteousness of God. It is finished. It is done through Christ. We are viewed as righteous. Because of Christ, we can stand before God, and He looks at us, and He declares us right. That is a miracle. So how can we stand just before God? It's not by our works. It's not by anything we can do. It's through Christ alone. There is no salvation. There is no justification. There is no rightness apart from Christ, because all throughout this passage that we look at, we see faith tied to Christ. There's no other explanation. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Then it goes on, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And on and on and on to the very end. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one Who has faith in Jesus? Faith in the Son of God is how we are ultimately justified before a righteous and just God. That is good news. Through Christ, we are made right. So knowing that we stand right before God, how should we live? There's a few verses I look to. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Romans 1.5 in Paul's introduction says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. We have been given grace through Christ for what? For obedience. We have been made right so that we can live righteously. We have been made holy so that we can live a holy life like Christ has called us to. You see, understanding God's justice helps us not have a weak view of salvation. It helps us truly understand God's grace and mercy. And I believe Philip's preaching on that next. But the grace and mercy of God can only be understood when we understand that God is just. That grace is not good if if we didn't get out of something. Like, what's the point of the grace if we didn't escape from something? And that escape is what we deserved. The grace is a gift. The justice is what we deserved. But the good news, this is not injustice. This is non-justice, but it's not injustice. God is not unjust for forgiving us. Instead, he is perfectly just in taking on his own punishment in his son, and forgiving us. So when we understand God's justice, we understand his grace and mercy better, and it pushes us to live in obedience to him. Faith in Christ means more than just a mental assent. Like, yeah, I believe in what he does. This word is deeper. This Greek word is deeper than just a mental belief. It literally means faithfulness. That opens the door a lot more. If I am faithful to my wife, Sarah, That means I am loyal to her. Faithfulness to Christ requires obedience. Our faith in Christ pushes us towards obedience or allegiance to our king. So we live for him. So I'll end with this. If you do not yet have faith in Christ, 
It's offered to you as a free gift, as we see in this passage. Quit trying to earn your right to stand and quit trying to be good in front of others just to justify yourself. You can't do it. If you're not in Christ, you can't justify yourself. Instead, put your faith and trust in the one who has already bought your justification. It's a free gift given to you. Repent from your sins. Put your faith in Christ and follow him and you will stand right before God. If you're in Christ, understand that when God looks at you, you are covered in Christ's righteousness and what he says about Christ can be said about you. When he looks at Christ and he says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, he looks at you covered in Christ's righteousness and says the same thing. This is my son, this is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Quit trying to justify yourself through your good works. Christ has already justified you, but rather enjoy living in obedience to the one who has already made you right. Praise be to our righteous and just God who has made us righteous and just before him. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name for you are right in who you are and you are just in all you do, and we are not. We have failed you so many countless times and we can do nothing to get ourselves out of it. We stand rightly accused before you in your courtroom and we should receive that condemnation. But your grace and your mercy said otherwise. That you took on your own justice. You took on the own, your own requirement for what was owed. And through Christ, through him taking on our punishment, we can be free from our sin. When he said, it is finished, it is finished forever, and we stand right before you through Christ. We thank you for that good news. Help us live in obedience for you and seek your righteousness every day. In Christ's name, amen.